This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. I'm your host, Nikdha, and joining us today is our own in-house reporter from Assam, Supriti David. And also, I'm very delighted to have with us today, Arunab Saikya. Uh, Arunab Saikya was a part of News Laundry a couple of years ago. Now he covers the Northeast uh, for Scroll. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. How's it going? <laughs> as good as it can be, I suppose, in these times. So, uh, so Arnab is in Guwahati right now, and Supriti too is in uh, somewhere near Guwahati. It's Margarita Tea State, right? How far is it from Guwahati, Supriti? Uh, it's thirteen hours away. That's actually oh, very far. That's it's really far. At all. Okay, <laughs> all right. It's a much bigger state than it looks like than it looks on the map. I know. Yep. Pardon me. I've become a Delhiite after living here for ten years. <laughs> All right. So, uh, listeners, before we begin, I want to tell all the new listeners about News Laundry. We are a 100% ad-free news platform and we really, really need your support to stay afloat. So, please do subscribe to us and pay to keep news free. You can go to our website, newslaundry.com and click on the subscribe button on the top right corner of the website. And also, I want to tell you that uh, we have a brand new podcast player on the website, a native podcast player. So do check it out. It has like a bunch of options that allow you to download the podcast. You can control the speed. You can queue. Uh, you can also skip to a topic within an episode and also start from where you had stopped. So please go to the website and check it out. Also, in case you're listening to this podcast on platforms like Spotify or iTunes, you should check out our ground reports, satire shows, and video reports on our website, newslaundry.com. Yes. So, uh, starting with what made news in the last one week, well, the Bharat Band called by the farmers today saw widespread support throughout the country. And in the latest development, as the protests have begun to intensify, uh, Union Home Minister Amit Shah has called the farmers for talks today evening. And now this seems very big. And this comes after multiple talks between the center and the farmers uh, to end the agitation actually failed over the same issue again and again. The farmers were not ready to budge from their very simple and straightforward demand that the problematic new farm laws be completely scrapped. Now, um, our reporters, Basant and Nidhi, have been on the ground from day one, bringing you detailed ground reports and videos of the protests. And uh, in the last episode of Reporters Without Orders, we actually spoke to them at length about the protests and why the farmers were so disgruntled with some of uh, the TV news channels covering the protests. So do check out the last episode in case you missed it. And also, please do go through Nidhi and Basant's ground reports on our website. Now... Coming to stories that shouldn't have made news. Shall we begin with some bizarre news stories? Who wants to go first? Arunav? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, this is hardly, uh, uh, I mean, there's very little uh, funny stuff in the news these days. But yeah, I mean, I, this is a really bizarre uh, news story I read, I think it was yesterday, hmm. about basically this uh, this this, this uh, wedding in, uh, you know, a remote uh, village in Rajasthan, you know, hmm. uh, called Baran. Uh, so basically, uh, you know, where uh, the, it seemed the, the bride uh, tested positive just minutes before, you know, she, the wedding, and yeah. uh, she was admitted to the quarantine center. 
the families insisted that they should get married you know <laughs> and not just get married you know not just not just like you know do a court thing you know just sign yeah. papers but they should do like the rituals and all so this is i don't know if you guys have seen it some bizarre, bizarre i think movie. i saw it everybody was wearing pp suits yeah, including yeah, the pandit yeah yeah the bizarre yeah. movie like you know and they had like a you know one of those uh, you know those fire thing and all so yeah yeah they, i was like oh my god what if uh, one of their pp suits catches fire That'll yeah, so yeah, no, I know. Mean, this is incredible, but it's also like it's also quite telling of where we are, you know, <laughs> as a country and a community in the pandemic right now. You know, I mean, it's just people just seem to have like you know, I mean, thrown all caution to the wind, and you know, absolutely, you know. And uh, in India, I don't think anything, no calamity, no disaster can stop marriages. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I have, uh, I have had, uh, you know, friends and uh, you know, uh, friends who are getting married. You know, I mean, yeah. same so yeah and, and no i mean i've asked them give i mean i think which is understandable you know they their their rationale is that how long do you wait you know there's no going anywhere which is true you sure. know i mean you know i mean uh, so i guess it just makes sense you know i mean just right. get done with it yeah right all right so priti why don't you share your story thus okay so mine's from uh, namibia so mm-hmm. a man named adolf hitler has won the election there and he promises he's an okay guy so this, <laughs> this is reported by huffington post and uh, yeah <laughs> my bizarre quite bizarre um yeah. all right so you guys know that uh, uttar pradesh is hell bent on bringing film city to noida right bollywood to noida so apparently while the farmer protests were raging on and you know uh, republic tv didn't give a shit uh, they were yeah. more concerned about this film city being made in noida and uh, uh, arnab goswami was saying something around the lines of you know the movie industry will finally now be out of the clutches of this you know nepotistic drug addict drug dealer mm. gang and uh, now movies will have this nationalistic and uh, rashtravadi flavor Right. and what's the harm in that so <laughs> i don't think that should have made news <laughs> so yeah that is my bizarre news story all right now finally coming to a story that should have made news but barely did something that we're going to discuss with our two guests in detail today is the bagjan oil well fire in assam now both supriti and arnab have been uh, covering it in detail Uh, now to just give you a quick recap the fire started on the 9th of june this year after a gas leak which had started a couple of days before and uh, it raged on for about 160 days almost 5 months uh, making it the longest such fire in india and uh, it was only doused in the middle of last month that is november and um, about 3 people died trying to contain the fire and the disaster has forced thousands of people in the neighboring villages of bagjan to leave their homes and take shelter in makeshift camps and uh, many have now returned home but many are still living in temporary shelters now most recently in related news in fact just yesterday uh, the guwahati high court thankfully uh, stayed this hydrocarbon exploration permission that yeah. had been given to oil india limited at seven different locations inside the dibru saikova national park now this mm-hmm. national park happens to be located just a few kilometers away from the site of the fire which we already know through multiple reports uh, affected the entire biodiversity of the region right mm. so yeah that is a quick recap um all right arnab i'll start with you 
Now, you have written multiple reports on the disaster, and one of them was about how the Bhagjan blowout exposed the long-suppressed resentments of the Assamese people against Oil India. Now, can you give us a brief understanding of how Oil India Limited is so almost uh, sort of inextricably linked to Assam's growth? And what did it mean to the people of Assam on a personal level before this incident happened? I mean, I wouldn't uh, go as far as saying it's in uh, it's linked to Assam's growth because and that's, that's contested, you know, that is so, uh, the whole point in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, as, as I said, you know, I mean, uh, as I said in my piece, you know, Appar Assam, uh, you know, uh, the state could not reach a lot of these areas, right, uh, in Upper Assam because, you know, the side of a raging insurgency and, you know, uh, different expressions of Aswis nationalism and it's just been a contested area uh, for a long, long time. So Oil India, you know, is was in a lot of ways an extension of the state, you know, they, they, they you know, uh, because because production of oil, you know, exploration and production of oil is, 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 is a massive operation, right, requiring a lot of people. All, all sorts of people, you know, say not everybody would obviously get employed uh, in the company as such, in the roles of the company, but you need drivers, you know, to like, yeah. you know, access the place. All you know. kinds of human resources. Yeah, yeah. all kinds of human resources. Yeah. And a lot of people benefited from it. And also, and, uh, and uh, that is one, uh, you know, that is one reason why they are so, uh, so, so important or they, they, they have such a central, you know, role in the uh, central kind of position in the, uh, in the area. But I think there's more, you know, the fact is that oil, you know, say, say when, you know, uh, oil exploration or scoping happens, right? Like if you find oil, it's essentially going to be in a village or someone's backyard, actually. Yeah. I mm-hmm. found oil in someone's backyard. So, you know, that, uh, that's a process of negotiation, right? You know, when you, when you have to convince the people that let us, you know, uh, let, let, let us let, let us you know, extract oil from your backyard garden yeah. and to, mm-hmm. what do we get out of it mm-hmm. so so we'll give you compensation but uh, but then you know but then but that's not good enough right because whatever what compensation money is going to run out at some stage so you no know, then yeah. you want something permanent so that's when you know uh, oil that's where oil comes into play right because and partly because the state is state was absent you know so you know they would build roads they'd build schools they build community halls. They they do all kinds of you know civic work that the government was supposed to be doing in the first place. So and I, I and I must tell you that this is not unique to you know hydrocarbon exploration in Assam. It, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's a pattern across the world, right? Right. So so these are intricate negotiations and arrangements, right? So, so the oil story in Assam is extremely layered, and it's important that you know we understand you know that. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's the kind of, kind of you know, uh, the, the kind of clout that Oil India enjoys, you know, it's, it's seen as a very Assamese public sector undertaking, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah, 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 In you mentioned this. That, yeah, because, and, because, you know, uh, resources are uh, very closely linked to Assamese nationalism, which which I, as I pointed out, you know, was thriving in, you know, this, uh, in this phase of Upper Assam. So, you know... Oil India had to create an image of itself where it wasn't seen as an exploiter, as an exploiter of natural resources of Assam and, and a foreign force taking away, you know, oil and natural gas from, you know, indigenous lands and not giving anything in return. Right. So they managed to kind of, in a lot of ways, you know, you know, I wouldn't say strike a balance, but, you know, convince people that they were striking a balance, right, you know, mm-hmm. making people's lives better in general. So, you know, yeah, so that's what, you know, so as, and as I pointed out in the piece, you know, Oil India's, uh, for example, Dibrugarh University, which is the closest, you know, seat of higher education uh, in the area. Oil has routinely funded, uh, you know, set up chairs in uh, Dibrugarh University. 
uh, recruited uh, from Devagar University. So it's a very symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. uh, that All India has. But again, you know, as with all of this, uh, all transactions of this kind, you know, it, it, it's not uniform. You know, a lot of people don't get left out, right? Right. So yeah, I mean, that's why oil, it's, it's a complex story and, you know, it has many layers, I suppose. Right, right. I mean, uh, I'll just, I'd just like to quote from your report, you know, about how oil is, uh, oil India is seen in Assam. And you say that an extractive, exploitative and environmentally destructive force, disruption in a landscape valued as indigenous, but also benevolent force working for development in the region, a very Assamese company. Yeah, that's what you say, which is so uh, well put. All right, uh, I'll come to you, Supriti. Now, uh, let's go back to your previous, uh, your first ground report from Bagjan when the fire was still raging. Um, I mean, this is for listeners who missed that episode. Could you tell us about what you saw and also uh, about your visit to these makeshift camps where the displaced villagers were living? Right, so I visited the uh, camp in uh, September, on uh, 12th of September. So... My stories, both stories that I've worked on, I focused on the residents of Notun Rongagora Gao, hmm. which is one of the other villages that was majorly affected. And uh, so when I went uh, in September uh, to report on the story, I found that they were living, um, so the 2000, close to 2000 residents of Notun Rongagora Gao, they were living in um, the relief camp that was set up in uh, Guijan High School. Now, Guijan High School is a few kilometers away from the blowout, and uh, yeah, all of them were housed there. So they had staged a, uh, the day I visited, um, the residents had staged a protest on a bridge near the fire, and uh, they were demanding compensation. They had been uh, compensated in August, but they hadn't been told when the next installment would uh, come in. So they were living in fear, they were living in uh, uncertainty. And yeah, they they had gone back and visited their uh, like homes and their fields uh, back in the village, and they found that, you know, the tremors caused due to the blowout, uh, they had uh, co- like made cracks in their homes, and their fields were completely um, destroyed. So yeah, when I visited then, there was a lot of fear and uncertainty, and even now, like uh, when I visited last month, there's still fear and uncertainty. So yeah, nothing as such has changed. Right. I, I would like you to describe, you know, uh, physically how it was, what was it like witnessing that fire, I mean, from such a close proximity. Uh, right. I'd like you to describe that for our listeners. Okay, so uh, I was able, like, fortunately, I was able to, you know, uh, go stand right next to the fire. So I stood there for about uh, 10 minutes, I want to say. And in Within 10 minutes, I had a raging headache and, you know, the smell of the gas also is like, you know, really, that's essentially what causes the headache. And it was the sound, like the roar of the fire, which was like, I can only compare it to thunder, I think. And the residents of the village, like they said that in their village, when they were uh, in the village, like even two people sitting right next to each other, like they had to scream in order to like, you know, hear each other. It was that loud. And uh, yeah, it was really um, surreal. I mean, I can only imagine actually. Um, all right, uh, you know, t- uh, talking about the fire. I mean, how it started and all. Can we can we talk a little about the safety norms? Uh, you know, and a lot of reports have said how they were inadequate. 
So what are the norms that are supposed to be in place and why were they, they inadequate? Arnab, if you can answer that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, it, there's, I did do a report on it, you know, I, I, I suppose days after when it happened. So uh, it's obviously still not, you know, I mean, there, there are no public reports of what exactly happened, right? You know, mm. Uh, mm. there's still investigation oils, you know, not been very transparent about it. So, uh, but uh, uh, one thing that, you know, uh, the, the thing is that, you know, it took a lot of time for the, uh, I mean, the, uh, for the blowout uh, control team to arrive at the spot. One criticism that Oil India has had to contend with is that they don't have their own blowout control team, right? Uh, because uh, the company says it's, uh, it's, 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 an, it's, it's an unrealistic uh, proposition, you know, you can't have a blowout control team. Uh, but a lot of experts say that they could, they should do better, considering there was a blowout a couple of years back also. And then uh, there's another, uh, and and what exactly led to the blowout, the secretive events, you know, there are allegations, right? There are allegations that the company kind of rushed through a workable process, through a, what was essentially, a, you know, a repair process, you know, it should have taken some more time, you know. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that's an allegation, um, uh, which uh, oil has not denied or confirmed, to be honest. Uh, uh, but... Uh, uh, the, the, the most uh, prominent uh, often cited criticism has been the fact that uh, oil did not have a team handy to you know go to the site immediately and deal with it you know because there was a lockdown on at a time because this was in the middle of like this most stringent uh, phase period of yes, the lockdown yes, right yes. Uh, so they got a team from Singapore and it took quite a while for them to come you know first of all they got a couple of guys from uh, uh, from ONGC right the ONGC crisis management team which arrived on the fourth day from Vadodara, right? Okay. Uh, remember, blowout uh, control team from Singapore arrived on June 7th. Mm. So, and the blowout happened on May 27th, right? And uh, in fact, the first internal, external experts to arrive, uh, they, they arrived 28, but uh, there's a, there's ONGC Nazira, which is like just, uh, uh, you know, a couple of kilometers south, uh, southwest, uh, you know, in Sipsagar. Uh, but yeah, uh, so pretty much for like around, uh, you know, a good, uh, good, 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 good 10 days, there were no experts at the site who could actually, could actually knew what to do, yeah. you know. So that is... That a lot of people say is quite, uh, you know, quite incredible considering, you know, the size of a company like Oil India. Yeah. So, that old also. Yeah, that old also. Yes. But then, yeah, I mean, I mean, I've uh, I, the defense I have been uh, told uh, by Oil India officials is that you know, you can't, you know, you 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 need experts to you know uh, control blowouts and in you know I mean uh, and there are blowout. Uh, blowout uh, control, you know, uh, experts for a reason, companies for a reason. I don't know how true, true or false that is, but yeah, but uh, the general consensus is that uh, Oil India should have uh, done better in terms of response. Uh, Arnab, if the first response was better, how do you think the damage would have been considerably less? I suppose so, but then it was, it's not like the expert from Singapore could do anything for the longest time, right? You know? Right. So, uh, these are, I mean, you know, these are also highly complex engineering operations, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's also very difficult to say, you know? I mean, in the sense that, uh, of course, you know, I mean, the more, the, the, the longer the fire raged, the longer the oil spilled, you know? I mean, there's mm. obviously going to be more damage. Mm. But I suppose once it had ha- once it's happened, you know, I mean, there's obviously going to be damage. But obviously, the extent of it, I suppose, is going to be, you know, uh, uh, going to be contingent on how long the exposure has been. 
and this was like this was what was longest blowout apparently you know yeah. or one of the longest at least this went on forever and uh, i think uh, a lot of things happened you know i mean uh, sans monsoons also can be quite cruel you know the rains also you know as uh, yeah. uh, supriti was pointing out you know I mean, there, there's a river there the dangori river you know which uh, which uh, <clears throat> overflowed and you know uh, in the middle of uh, you know just as they began working and you know it was it was one it was one uh, misadventure after another basically yeah uh, yeah I, i suppose uh, as i pointed out i mean i think once uh, it happened you know once a leak out happened you know once a leakage happened you know mm-hmm. and uh, a fire was only inevitable after a leakage right because right. it's really right. high pressure because there were rain it was you know they were lucky for a couple of days to, uh, mm-hmm. you know i mean actually two weeks exactly two weeks you know uh, if a team would have arrived earlier and you know and probably there was i'm sure a better 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 chance at a better chance at you know kind of dealing with it earlier and you know preventing much of the damage you know to the flora and fauna around right right uh, tell me something does it usually take this long to uh, you know in oil well fires elsewhere to uh, i mean to get doused and like what sort of protocol do they follow i'm talking about even abroad like in other countries i mean h- how has our response been compared comparatively i mean the, the fact of the matter is that we don't have any uh, in house country expertise to deal with blowouts you know which is quite uh, which is also quite crazy considering we are i mean we do produce a fair amount of uh, oil and gas right so yeah i mean uh, i mean this is this are almost industrial disasters right i mean it's, it's kind of unfair also to compare industrial disasters as such I mean, they're all bad right i mean things can go south you know i mean you know and, uh, and i'm sure you know like it's, it's the people there after the after the disaster happened you know i'm sure they you know the engineers at work you know did try their level best to do you know contain the damage you know uh, mm-hmm. but i suppose it was just uh, something they couldn't deal with you know it was just too much i guess so supposedly like there was a similar fire in uh, sivasagar district in 1967 that also took like 3 months to extinguish yeah 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 there there, there happened there was there fire even before i mean more recently i think 2000 11 or i'm not too sure about the date honestly uh, which was somewhere if you you know in my piece uh, in my story uh, mm-hmm. but yeah so, i mean that was also a shorter uh, period of uh, there was also shorter period that they did the, mm-hmm. but it was also apparently like a, a bigger blowout you know it was just you know a difficult blowout to contain and uh, yeah uh, i mean i think it was one of those uh, times where you know nothing worked basically Yeah. Now, I guess uh, both of you have seen uh, the affected areas. Um, could you could you describe them? Like Supriti, let's start with you. Uh, so, Nottungal, the village itself, uh, the fields there, they like um, the soil. What the villagers tell me and what I saw is the soil uh, has changed. Is what they say. Like because of the oil condensate, like the soil uh, isn't. Um, giving as much yield as it used to is what they say and they are not being able to uh, grow the crops that they would normally do at this time so that's one and also uh, in uh, maguri bil which is a wetland it's famous for migrant like migratory birds mm. and they usually come at this time of the year and uh, there are no birds at all so uh, and because of the blowout and the um, the sound of uh, pollution and everything mm. so there are no migratory birds this time and migrate the birds you know uh, were a great source of um, uh, tourism so, i mean tourism would have i guess been affected either way because of covid but 
COVID will probably go away, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. the impact of this will probably keep birds away for exactly. a while. Uh-huh. And the people, uh, the, the villagers, they... Uh, the residents they say that it'll take a long time before their uh, fields go back to producing the kind of yield it used to, and uh, they say that it'll take up to like you know two years at least. And uh, they depend on this you know uh, yield for like their own consumption and you know for income. So uh, they are like they are obviously very rightly worried. And initially, oil uh, when I'd spoken to oil for my first story, they'd said that they'd begun. uh you know bioremediation uh for the affected fields hmm. but when i went on ground and i spoke to the people like they said that like nothing of the sort had begun as of yet what does this bioremediation involve bioremediation uh is essentially introduction of like um uh, microorganisms to an area to break down uh, hmm. environmental pollutants So, oh. uh, so the spokesperson had initially told me that they had already begun uh, this process in the affected fields in the affected villages, but uh, what the residents told me that nothing of the sort had happened to their knowledge, like till date. That's like till November, and uh, oil had told me in September that they'd already begun the process. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of um. Yeah. Uh, lying involved, <laughs> probably, <Yeah>. most probably. <laughs> Arna, what about you? Uh, you know, when you visited these areas, or what you saw, if you could describe it to to us. Actually, uh, I I actually haven't gone there. I mean, you know, I mean, oh. after after the blowout happened, you no, know, all my reporting was over the phone because it's too far. I mean, at the point when it happened. Yeah. Uh, But though I've also actually done a lot of reporting over the years from you know the area, uh, mm-hmm. so I mean yeah, I mean know the landscape quite intimately. So yeah, I mean I I, I honestly I've mean, seen pictures, but I haven't uh, gone there after uh, after the blowout happened. And all all of my reporting has been over the phone, mm-hmm. you know, because of the pandemic. Right, 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 right. Also, uh, Snigta, like yeah. before we move on, I just want to add that uh, even the uh, fish in the wetland, the res- residents say that the uh, like a lot of the fish during the blowout had obviously died, and uh, they say that the a quantity of fish in the wetland has reduced significantly. So I think right. that's also uh, like an important uh, environmental change that has happened. Yeah, of course. Now I guess the long term impact of this we'll only know in time. and i don't even yeah. know has the government assigned any team or committee to study the long term impacts of this disaster yeah the ngt team studying the they've already submitted a few uh, draft reports i mean uh, oil india saying the challenge they said they should we'll wait for the final report but they're all quite damning they're saying that you know in irreparable damage to flora and fauna and uh, so yeah supposedly sbagjan uh, oil well and 26 others were being illegally operated according to ngt is that true there's a, there's a, yeah there's the same panel uh, the kakuri panel uh, set up by the ngt has uh, said that is basically to with clearances you know when uh, I mean, the ngt should look at they were operating without mandatory clearances from uh, you know assam uh, pollution control board Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there are little, are slightly uh, you know technical uh, things also there about clearances and who issues yeah. clearances and all that, right? So the uh, NGT report on the Bajan blow uh, blowout has uh, spoken about the devastating impact of the environment and biodiversity of the affected landscape, and 
so yeah, I mean, I think it's basically you know, uh, it, these are all preliminary reports, right? So I mean, the details are yet to be to completely emerge. But the yeah, but the preliminary reports are quite damning, you know, in the conclusion that you know the the damage that's been uh, caused is quite irreparable, and you know, like uh, uh, you know, the number of uh, fish species uh, in Maguri Bill have died. Uh, so there was need for a long-term study, basically, to cover that sense of actual damage caused. By Bagjanwal, uh, Bagjanwal, basically, because you know a lot of his damages, as you point out, are going to be long term. So that's what. Yeah. It- yeah, right. So, so pretty. Uh, in your last report, in your most recent report, um, you talk about how many of the affected villagers have not received the compensation they were promised, right, from uh, yeah. oil. So, uh, could you tell us a little more about it? Yeah, so uh, initially the uh, compensation that most of the villagers received was an interim compensation in August, which Mm -hmm. was about uh, 25,000 rupees. Now, after that, the next installment they received in October, which was 50,000. And uh, they were told that they would receive the next installment uh, on November 23rd, but they didn't receive anything. Now, uh, the issue that's uh, really here is that one the villagers don't know uh, you know the residents don't know who exactly uh, which of them exactly are eligible for the compensation will they get any like uh, if there is more compensation to come how long you know uh, the compensation will keep coming uh, there's no clarity as such as to like the issue of compensation now a lot mm-hmm. of the residents also say that uh, like um, in Sukhya district administration, they came to the village and they took down their uh, account numbers to transfer the compensation into, but uh, they had taken down a lot of wrong account numbers. So most of them haven't, a lot of them haven't really received compensation from the beginning. Did you, did you manage to speak to anybody from Oil India Limited regarding this? Uh, yeah, I spoke to the spokesperson and he said that Oil India has uh, uh, released all the funds as directed to them by the NGT. They've released, uh, till now they've released about, I think, 36 crores for uh, compensating the people. Uh, yeah, but the issue, I think, like, uh, lies in the distribution is what, like, I understand uh, and I reached out to the people in Tinsukia uh, district administration, but they haven't really um, cooperated. They haven't really told me anything. They haven't been taking my calls. So, uh, okay. yeah, so I don't know where exactly this gap is. But yeah, there's an issue in distribution, I think, because if oil is saying they've released all the funds and the people are saying they haven't received it and Tinsukia administration is responsible for distribution. And they are not answering your calls. Yeah, so I guess we know what the problem is. <laughs> right. No, now, Supriti, you were mentioning something about uh, people being confused about whether they are eligible to receive this con- compensation, right? What is this eligibility? What does this involve? Right. So uh, NGT, I think initially they said that they are, uh, they'd made three categories, uh, I think, uh, uh, yeah, for like people to be eligible. So for people who were, whose houses were completely destroyed, severely destroyed and moderately destroyed, there were, I think, three categories. Uh, And uh, based on which category uh, the residents fell into, they would receive that, um, you know, amount of uh, compensation. But, uh, and this uh, would be based on the assessment carried out by the Tinsukia District Administration. So, and the, 
issue that here also is that the assessment the damage assessment uh, that the ministry administration is supposed to carry out mm-hmm. and uh, the report for which is supposed to be given to oil oil says they haven't uh, received that final assessment report from the um, tinsuki administration yeah they haven't received that report as yet so there's very little i think communication taking place between like you know the admin and the residents and mm. oil is not in the picture when it comes to the residents in terms right. of face to face interaction so. right right so a lot of questions regarding the role of tinsuki administration yeah. um which are still unanswered mm-hmm. um All right. Uh, coming back to you, Arnab. Uh, we were speaking about that NGT report and uh, issues with the clearances uh, given to Oil India Limited, right? Now, in your uh, in one of your reports, you've mentioned how uh, you know Oil India was actually uh, giving a lot of attention to uh, ethnic organizations in the area, like you know, funding research into their literature and all of that. You know. how has this played a role in where things stand currently you know what i mean yeah the, uh, in the sense that you know yeah obviously you know there was a lot of you know so called underhand bribery you know i mean this, you know public media public hearings were rigged so obviously and that was uh, that was that was, that was part of how all in the operated right you know i mean this, you know the philanthropy came at a price you know uh, uh, public hearings were rigged you know they 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 you know they Uh, you know, because uh, weak public consensus is you know uh, is 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 built in you know uh, villages right you have like ethnic organizations and you know in uh, assam you know kind of driving conversations so you know they they knew you know whom to you know uh, keep on their good books and you know so obviously you know that meant like a lot of environmental concerns were you know uh, were overlooked you know and uh, for easy money so yeah i mean when the things are go- when things are good right i mean you know that that's the thing in the extractive economy you know yeah. with hydrocarbons you know uh, that you know things are good they great there a lot of money you know but uh, yeah when things go wrong they go terribly wrong so yeah yeah, yeah i mean uh, in your report one uh, former employee of oil india limited uh, actually tells you and i'm quoting i won't say oh, I, uh, oil uh, buys people but a little manipulation happens i will not lie This is what he yeah. told you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's that. Um, all right. Is there anything else that you guys would like to add to our conversation? I think uh, one thing I'd like to add is that uh, I think a lot of people uh, not like they lost. They think that once the uh, fire was capped, where the story ends. But I guess for a lot of the people, uh, that's where most of the um, like for the residents at least, that's where. that's when their problems like really get real because that's when they've come home and they have to deal with everything uh you know um up front and it's important to uh you know focus on um the aftermath i think and a lot of people forget that right all right i think that uh, brings us to the end of our discussion and we shall finish off with some recommendations Mm, I will recommend something which is not a new story, but I think it's only uh, fair that I recommend a Mumbai Mirror story. Oh, uh, I know it's so sad. Oh my god! So this is excellent story from 2016, November 26th. You know, Dipthiman Tiwari and Kunal Pradhan. You know, uh, it's called "We've Lived a Full Life Now We Choose to End It." You know, it's about a couple in Goa. Mm-hmm. 
you know uh, it's an it's an incredible story extremely uh, poignant it's about a couple you know it's about it's, it's probably slightly morbid but it's also exceedingly poignant i will thank you so much supriti uh yeah i think i want to recommend uh, the unwomanly face of war it's a book by uh, sultana alexovich and uh, the, the reason i'm recommending this is because uh, when i like you know when i was on ground and i was reporting and i was talking to people who were so uh, like directly i mean affected by uh, this um there was a point where uh, while i was interviewing this woman uh, she broke down and she started crying and uh, like i mean you would i mean you read a lot of uh, you know when you read a story in an article you see the word that she broke down but as a reporter when you're on the ground and you have to deal with this and you have to come back uh, home knowing that uh, you've done all that you can by reporting the story and you have to you can't do much more than that right right thank you so much supriti all right um, my recommendation is of course all the ground reports on uh, the bagjan fire by supriti and uh, arunab uh, you'll find them on scroll and news laundry and also this podcast interview with uh, dr dolly kekon um, on the swaddle it's called dr dolly kekon on the bagjan oil crisis and the politics of resource extraction um yeah it's quite good and gives you a lot of insight into the issue all right that's that and uh, listeners if you liked what you heard please do rate our podcast on itunes or whatever platform you tune into we also have a bunch of other podcasts like hafta and awful and awesome better the rating more the reach and that means more subscribers and that means better content so um, yeah and also we're very eager to hear your feedback so write to us at contact@newslaundry.com with reporters without orders in the subject line and uh, you could also leave your comments on twitter or our facebook handle or instagram and uh, with that this podcast is adjourned thank you and see you next week all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent to catch all our podcasts on news pop culture current affairs and sport visit newslaundry.com follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and subscribe to our youtube channel